Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. and excited to share the word with you. But I will say, I didn't realize, Brent, that today was uh, Bring Your Pet to Church Day. It's not Bring Your Pet to Church Day. It's okay. I did okay. bring a pet, though, because we're trying to illustrate something fun right, today. Right. So did you bring your pet at all today? I wish. Yeah. So if Carly would have brought her pet, you would have seen this beautiful dog here. What's your dog's name? Shirley. Shirley. Everybody Curly say hi Shirley. to Shirley. <laughs> and I want you to notice that Curly Shirley, your hair matches with Shirley. And I just don't know if that happens. <laughs> But the other cool thing I noticed is that um, pets, my pet's hair matches me as well today. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so we both have pets with matching hair. Okay. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, so, yeah, welcome. It's a good day today. Uh, I have a few questions for you. How many of you have a pet? Some sort of pet. Oh, man, look at that. A lot That's of pets a lot. Out there. I've noticed that there's kind of four different types of pet owners. There's the cat pets. How many of you have cats? So raise your hand. Kind of quiet, okay. <laughs> it's probably normal. Uh, how about dog owners? Are there any dog Whoa! owners in the house? Oh, yeah, a lot of energy with the dog owners. And then the third type is just random pets. Uh, iguanas, turtles, goats, farm animals, anyone like that? Okay, a few of those. And then there's this fourth category that I would call, I will never, ever own a pet. Any of those people in there? Hey. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, and, and I was kind of that way. I was like, the, I will never, ever own a pet. I have a hundred reasons to not own a pet. Uh, they stink. They cost money. Come on, go with me here. They do their thing, and then you have to pick up the thing, and you just can go through a hundred. You have to vaccinate them and all that stuff. You know the hundred reasons, right? But do you know the one reason that you will get a pet? Your kids. Yeah. I have three daughters, and my hundreds of great reasons boiled down to getting a pet because one of my daughters, and that beautiful, poor, little, please, dad face. So we got a fish. <laughs> <clears throat> a goldfish. They don't really usually last that yeah, long. No. But, and then we uh, grew up and got a bunny rabbit. How many of you had a bunny rabbit before? And that didn't last very long either. And we eventually got a dog. Uh, we lived in Georgia for a while, and so we had um, like a pet cockroach. Uh, I don't know if you've ever lived in the South. I don't know if it was just one or there were a lot of them, and we just multiple cockroaches. Uh, but eventually then we got a turtle and accidentally picked up a box turtle one time and found out it was illegal, and so we put it back. That's kind of my list of pets. Um, but recently, this last month, uh, one of my sister's friends at school, or one of my sister, one of my daughter's friends at school said, hey, we have a turtle and we're going to get rid of it. Do you want this turtle? And I started going down the list of why we would not have a turtle. They stink and, uh, and I lost. And so I want to introduce you today to this turtle. Uh, my friend Chris Graham had a turtle growing up. He named him Turt. thought that was really creative. Um, my daughter's friends are really creative, and so they named this one Michelle. And I don't know if that's like Mrs. Shell or you'd name it Mr. Shell or 
Michelle, like my shell, but can you guys say hello to my shell? And she's come out, or he, or I don't know how you, do you know if they're boys or girls? I don't know. But one thing I noticed is that turtles aren't that fun to play with. When we bring the turtle out, it immediately goes to try to find a hiding place, and it shells up. Can you do that with me? Just shell up with me. It kind of shells up, right? And, and I started to realize that I'm a lot like that. I, I'm kind of a natural introvert, and, and I like to shell up. If I go to like a grocery store or something, I'll get my baseball cap on and kind of like walk around and like hope I don't see anyone. Or if I go to a coffee, out to coffee or something, I just might want to go sit down in the coffee place and get my book and kind of hide there. I'm kind of introverted and I like to shell up. And we're in this series right now called This Invitational Life where God's asking us to show up instead of shell up. Can you say it with me? That we want to show up up instead of shell up. up. Uh, Steve, Pastor Steve Carter, asked us to write names of people, and we put these sticky notes of all the names of people that we're praying for during this series that we wouldn't shell up, but we'd be willing to show up in their lives for what God has for us. I noticed this happened to me a few weeks ago. I took my daughter to a lacrosse uh, training thing, and there was another dad there, and we parked like right next to each other, and we're the only ones in the parking lot, and I'm ready to shell up. Pull out my phone, start reading through the news, start flipping through every app that I can find, pretend like I'm asleep so I'm not like talking to him or something. It's just like this natural instinct to shell up. I I insulate, I isolate, I want to protect myself, Um, I I don't want to give out energy or time to someone. It's just kind of natural for me. I don't know about you. But I think maybe it's true that we play this game of hide when we really should be seeking. And and, and I don't know if you've played hide and seek before, but it's really easy for us to hide instead of seek, to become self-focused, to isolate, to insulate ourselves. And that's not what God's calling us to in this series and as we move forward as Christians. And I don't know, do you, do you send a shell up ever? Yeah. You're a sheller. Okay, good. Sometimes. I'm not alone. Yes. The last couple of years, my husband Mike and I have had this goal at the grocery store to try to connect with the same employees. And so we try to connect with the same person and get in their line every time we're at the store. And so we can connect with them and form a friendship, hear what's going on in their world. But honestly, sometimes... I shell up when I know that God is calling me to live into those intentional friendships. You know, those days when you see the longest line, you want to avoid the longest line at the grocery store, right? Even though it'll probably only save you three minutes. Sometimes I do that where the person that I know that I am trying to connect with has the longest line. I I just make my way to self-checkout. Then there's other days that I will, I'll tell you, I have a Monday mode. Monday, I have like a Monday uniform. It's called a hat, my hair back, no makeup, my sweatshirt from my sophomore year of high school that's been washed too many times. You guys all have those, right? They're so comfortable. And then my sweatpants. And this is not athleisure. I've realized that I've created a new fashion category called athlazy. I mean, this is my Monday mode. And so when I'm at the store on Mondays, I'm thinking, I look like such a slob. Why should I go 
and chat with that person today. They're not going to want to talk to me. They're going to think I'm a hot mess, which, you know, I am sometimes, and it's okay. But I cave into the insecurity of the way that I'm looking on a particular day and what I'm wearing to think that I shouldn't go and have an intentional conversation. Ah, it's in those moments that I just shell up over convenience or my comfort zone or insecurity. And you know what? I bet we all do that, right? Have you guys ever had that where you have had God just telling you to have an intentional conversation or to connect with someone or be intentional to serve someone, but instead you cave into your convenience or your comfort zone or that self-protective mode? I bet we all shell up sometimes. And so I'm really glad that you're here today because we believe that God has some incredible things for us as we unpack what it looks like to show up and not shell up. Yeah, so we're going to be talking today just a little bit about how we relate with people, how we connect with people. Why is God calling us into this invitational life? Uh, why has he given us names of people that, <clears throat> that uh, he's working on and telling their stories? And this has been a real challenge for me because naturally I want to shell up, but I'm trying to change uh, through God's power that natural instinct to, to hide instead of seek. And so I was telling you about the lacrosse dad. I mean, it was just really obvious that God's saying, hey, it's time to show up. And so I did that awkward thing. I got out of my car and I kind of knocked on the window and, hey, and the guy ends up getting out of the car and we're there just starting this conversation. And it just starts, you know, normal and natural. And he had moved here from California and I don't know, he's like the first person that's moved here from California, and um, so I'm really interested in that, and, and uh, learning about his life, and, and all of a sudden, the you know, conversation just starts, starts changing, and we just start talking about our life, and our background, and our belief systems, and faith, and do you go to church, and yeah, I've tried that church, and wow, I, he's even been to our church, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting, and we're out there freezing on a fall night, but we just can't stop talking to each other, and, and then he says, hey, let's grab coffee together. I love talking about faith, and I'm like, what would I have missed if I would have shelled up in my car and pretended to sleep, <laughs> right? And so the, the thing is, in this invitational life, is that we have this thing called the good news, and just like Trevor was singing in that, in that song, God so loved, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And this beautiful concept of him giving himself away. And so it's been a real challenge for me. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about those markers in our lives. And the week before that, the why. Why do we do that? Because we have good news. And God has given us these markers along the way, these stones, these stories that we get to tell to invite us in to a bigger story. You know that this holiday season, people are more open to hearing the good news of Jesus than ever before. Christmas is a religious holiday, but people recognize it as the birth of Christ. And so this holiday season, what would happen if we were to live into inviting, showing up, not shelling up? So I want you to know today that there is still hope. There's hope for me. Can you say amen to that? And there's hope for you today. 
as we learn in, to live into this bigger story, you know, God has been teaching us how to show up for thousands of years. In, in his word here, he's given us examples of men and women who have showed up to advance the good news of Jesus. Yeah, in Acts chapter 9, we see the disciples shelling up. And these are the guys that walked the closest with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They saw Jesus showing up for all these people. But they're human, like us, and they have a tendency sometimes to shell up. And you know what? I think that's a little refreshing, right? Because if they can learn to get past their stuff, we can too by the help of God. And it's interesting in this story, in Acts chapter 9, we see them shelling up because someone has come to their door, knocked on the door, and they are scared. This someone is someone who's been named Saul. He becomes Paul, but he's had this incredible conversion moment. He was this notorious destroyer of the church. His like life's mission was to wipe out the early Christian church. He was overseeing the, the deaths of some of the early preachers. He was putting people in jail. He was trying to wipe out the fellowships and the gatherings of these early believers. I mean, this guy was all over the Jerusalem news, right? The parents were trying to guard their children from ever having any contact with Saul. And yet, God met Saul in an amazing way on the road as he was heading to Damascus, transformed his heart, his life, and his future. And so immediately Saul goes and he goes into Damascus and then Arabia, and he is preaching the good news. He does that for three years. But then finally he decides he wants to come back to Jerusalem and connect with the apostles. And you know, news doesn't travel fast. In this day and age, right? They didn't have social media or the news or their, their smartphones. So it's been three years, but they are still thinking that Saul is his old self. And so in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, we read, When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Now, can you blame them? I mean, I think if it were me, I would have been like, this guy is on some secret mission. He's manipulating this whole thing to come and arrest me. I would have shelled up too. I would have been afraid as well. But here's where the story takes a beautiful turn. In the next verse, there's two powerful words. They say this, but Barnabas. But Barnabas. There was one guy who showed up. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. That, that word took in the original language means to literally extend a hand or take hold of. He extended a hand and he took him and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas told them about how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. But Barnabas. Barnabas saw past the past. Barnabas saw past, beneath the surface. Barnabas saw the work of God in Saul's life. And he decided instead of maintaining a barrier to build a bridge, and he connected with him. 
And I think it's really beautiful, and we must note in this passage that he comes and he tells the apostles the story of Saul's life and his conversion. And so that means that he had to have taken the time to listen to Saul's story, to relate, to find common ground, to connect with him. And then once he had learned about him and made this new friend, then he was able to connect him to the apostles, which as we read, he was able then to move about freely in Jerusalem and preach because of this. See, Barnabas's vision that was beyond himself, his willingness to show up and live this invitational life, then had incredible impact on Saul's future and Barnabas's as well. They actually ended up partnering in ministry. And, you know, when we think about this, we go, okay, so who is this Barnabas guy that he was so able to just show up and be so bold and brave? But this wasn't the first time that Barnabas had done this. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, that Barnabas' actual name was Joseph. But people started calling him Barnabas as a nickname. And Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. So he'd become so well-known for being an encourager. That was his reputation that people were like, we're not going to call him Joe anymore. We're calling him Barnabas Mm -hmm. because that is who he was at the core of his being. He was someone that imparted courage in others. He was a guy that showed up. Yeah, and so we just believe that uh, there's a bunch of but Barnabas moments. Steve Carter would call these moments uh, only God moments. And he challenged us to have only God moments every seven days where we just see where God showed up. And so, you know, last Sunday as I, I went out and I'm standing in the lobby just kind of hanging out, I go up to my friend Mike and, Mike, how's it going? And Mike's just so excited. He said, I want to introduce you to my friend Lloyd. I'm, okay, hey, Lloyd. And he says, Lloyd literally saved our lives. I'm thinking, oh, cool. There's a story coming, right? And he said, Lloyd's a fireman. I'm like, oh, well, you were in a fire? He's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you the story of Lloyd. And so I just had him write it down. And I just kind of wanted to read something. Mike says, I honestly believe our lives were saved by the miracle and the courage of our neighbor growing up. All I know is he was a neighbor and a firefighter, but he had the courage to share Jesus with my mom, who is a single mom with four children. We were the result of alcoholism, dysfunction, and this divorce. I thought, oh man, this is a great story. And so I asked him to send a nice 70s picture to you. Do you guys love 70s pictures? Beautiful family here. And and so I I started talking to the mom and asking, Mom, will you share your story a little bit? And she says, I was a 20-year-old, 29-year-old mom with four kids, and overnight my life became completely changed. I was pretty confused. I was working part-time. My neighbor, the fireman, he was watching my life play out. One evening, there was a knock on the door as I was pulling out the last batch of cookies. Our fireman carried on a conversation, and then he asked me about God, and she says he pulled out this pamphlet, The Old Four Spiritual Laws. Do you remember this? I don't know if they use these anymore, but he basically walked her through the spiritual laws, and her heart was ready, and she accepted Christ in that moment, and it completely changed their world and their family, and their future. See, that's what happens when we show up. And sometimes we don't see the results of that. But then she said, I've got to tell you more to the story. 
Now, 40 years later, I moved here to Eagle, Idaho. I connected with Lloyd again. He lives in the same retirement community that I do here at Eagle. And I was like, it's the only God, right? She asked Lloyd, what, what led you to come share with me that day? And here's what Lloyd says. He says, it was very stressful. I didn't want to go over, but God kept telling me to go. So I paced back and forth reciting what I would say. Has anybody been there before? I walked in my son's bedroom window, which looked out towards your house. I kept pacing and praying. I was so nervous. I looked out again, and your car was gone. Yes. <laughs> I was so relieved, he says. I said, I don't have to go. And five minutes later, as I was pacing, I looked again, and your car was back. I prayed and continued praying while I walked three houses up. And Lloyd led her to Christ that day because of his obedience, because of this God-only moment, because he started to learn to relate. See, Lloyd understood this concept in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul is talking about how he connects with people. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to 1 Corinthians 9 and uh, check out this passage with me. He's talking uh, about how he connects. He says, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. I've come low so I could win as many as possible. To the Jew, I become like a Jew to win who? The Jews. Those under the law, I become like one under the law. Why? To win those you got it, under the law, to those having not been in the law to become like those to win those that are not under the law. See, he's just continually trying to find, I love the end of this, he says, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible I may win some. I pulled my grandfather's old living Bible out and it says this, yes, Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and Christ will let him save him. I love that concept of common ground. To the single mom of four, I become like a single mom of four so I can find common ground. To, to the lacrosse dad, I, I try to become like the lacrosse guy so I can become common ground. To the fisherman, I try to connect with the fisherman so I can find common ground. To, to the kid in the, in the uh, lunchroom that's lonely and afraid and insecure, I try to become like that kid so I can win them to Christ. And, and here's the deal. We don't have to change our identity to find common ground with people. We don't have to change what Christ has done with us just to try to connect with people. See, see Paul talks about Jesus later in Philippians, and he's talking about what Jesus did to relate with us. If you have your Bibles, again, I'd love for you to flip over to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, not just you and I here, but in your relationships with common man, with the world, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was God. Being the very nature of God, didn't consider that something to be grasped, but he actually made himself nothing. 
He took on the form of human likeness. He became a servant. He, he became the appearance of man. You just see over and over what God did through Jesus as he steps down the ladder of success. He becomes low and low and lower to connect with mankind. Look at the end of this passage. It says, And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus models for us this humility, this connection. And he calls us to this broader story than just ourselves. This broader story of hope, this broader story of restoration, this broader story of God called relationship and redemption. Amen? Amen. For three years, my husband and I found ourselves in a story that we would have never expected. I'm sure some of you have been there where you're going, wow, life isn't necessarily taking the turns that I thought it was going to take. And for us, the story that we found ourselves immersed in was called secondary infertility. And we have a precious daughter who is the joy of our world. Her name is Lucy. She, that means bright light, and that's exactly what she is if you know where she is a hoot and a half, and she's just so much fun. And we are over the moon, and we'll always be over the moon with her. And yet, there was just something that we had, we had always just pictured having multiple kids. You know, that was our expectation. And expectations can get a little tricky sometimes, right? And they, can get, they can get sticky and messy. And so that was the expectation that we had been walking in and living in, and sometimes even, unfortunately, tying our, our faith in. And so we were trying to figure out why, why we were struggling, what was going on. And I had some health issues that, that arose that we were not really sure what to do with. And so we would visit doctor after doctor after doctor. And I tried all sorts of crazy diets and herbal supplements and all these things, and nothing was, nothing was happening. Well, then to make things a little bit more difficult, when Lucy was three, she started realizing that all of these friends around her, many of them had siblings, so she's like, well, mom and dad, I want a sister. I would like a brother. And so that just compounded some of the, the weight of this for us. And she would be praying at night, asking for a sibling. And Mike and I then on our own would be crying out in desperation, asking God to answer our prayer too. And nothing seemed to be happening. And to be honest, I was frustrated, like kind of mad at God, going, God, can you hear me? Do you even care? And I, in my heart of hearts, I know that he has always cared. But emotions can kind of make things a little bit confusing sometimes. And so in the midst of all of that, I felt like I had a tendency to shell up, that I was frustrated, that I wanted to isolate, that I didn't really know exactly how to even articulate all of this to people. And, and it was just really confusing for a while. And so I remember about a year ago, Mike and I were sitting in a sacred booth at the Cheesecake Factory, right? Mm -hmm. That can happen. Yes. Holy moments at the Cheesecake when Factory. When in doubt, go to Cheesecake. <laughs> yes. So we're sitting there eating that delicious bread and trying to decide what cheesecake we want, even before we decide our entree, right? That's how it goes there. And we're sitting there, and probably for the thousandth time, we're processing this journey of infertility. And it was as if God downloaded this incredible moment to me, this phrase that I needed so desperately by his grace he gave to me that 
you know, it's a phrase that I wouldn't have ever, I didn't believe really, I wouldn't have ever even said out loud, but God shifted my perspective, and I looked across the table at Mike, and I said, Mike, what if we are part of a story that's bigger than us? Because I got to thinking, I had been tying my faith to a specific outcome, and I'd been trying to so desperately to force God into my story and into my narrative because, I mean, I like to have control. I like to have things all planned out. But instead of trying to write God into my story, God was inviting us into his. Not that he had caused any of the heartache or the health issues, no. But somehow, some way, he was weaving together a beautiful narrative and inviting us to be a part of it. And so that phrase, we are part of a story that's bigger than us, it became an anthem for me for the last year. And so we just continued to press forward trying to figure out some of my health issues. And I connected with a, a healthcare provider that was a new, a new connection for me. And we became friends. We would talk about where we like to go shopping and what shows we like on Netflix. But pretty soon our conversations would get into deeper matters, you know, what we were dreaming for the future what our fears were, the trials that we were facing. And I was seeing this, this particular healthcare provider twice a week, and so we had become really good friends. And you know, in all of that time, my symptoms were getting a little bit better, and, and I was starting to see some improvements, but also, even more important than that, in that time, I was able to just learn her story, where she was with her faith, what she's struggling with, and I got to share my Jesus journey with her. And I got to pray for her. And we have continued to have these incredible moments where we just talk about God together. And I'm so thankful because really, if I think about being immersed in God's story, if things would have gone my way, I would have never connected with her. If, if things would have gone the way that I wanted, my path would never have intersected with her. And so it's just so humbling to know that we're all invited to be a part of a story that's bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of this whole journey, I just have to celebrate too that God has brought healing to my body. And you can probably see I have a baby bump and we're having a baby in March and we're so thankful. <laughs> so thankful. Another little girl in our family, we can't wait. But you know, it's just a beautiful and humbling thing to realize that we are part of a story that's bigger than us, and that will be an anthem for our family mm. for years and years to come. That's so good. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, sometimes the story doesn't always turn out that way. Sometimes we don't see the results of the story, and sometimes God doesn't necessarily just come through like that, and we don't get to see it. But sometimes, just like in the story I shared about Mike, we get to see 40 years down the road, right? And what if Lloyd wouldn't have shared that day with his mom? You know, what would have happened in that family's story? Uh, just recently, my grandmother passed away. She was 94, and we were looking back through the stories of our family, and uh, there was a story that came out about my grandfather. Uh, his name was Wendell, and he grew up in a Christian home, but after World War II, he was stationed in Oak Harbor, Washington, and he was not living a life of faith, and he met his, uh, his wife in a bar, in, a bar in, in Oak Harbor, and they started their family, and 10 years later with, you know, four kids, things just weren't going well. 
And so his brother, which would be my great uncle Bob, decided to come up from Arizona and just set him straight. <laughs> it's time to go to church, Wendell. It's time to get your family in church. It's time to get your spiritual life figured out. And so he comes up from Arizona and he's going to set grandpa straight. And I don't know, there might be a stubborn streak that kind of runs in our family. Um, I don't have that trait at all, but... <laughs> You know, probably other people in our family do. And so uh, my grandfather says, well, you can go to church, but I'm going fishing. And my Uncle Bob could have made the, church, the choice, because in the 50s, if you're a Christian, you'd go to church on Sundays, right? I don't know, several of you were probably part of, around that time. And so he had the choice to kind of be hooty snooty and be on his throne and go to church and prove him wrong and do all that kind of stuff. But my, my great uncle Bob, he said, I'll go fishing with you. And something happened in the boat that day where my grandfather accepted Christ again. And something changed in our family structure and in that home. And all of a sudden, now four generations later and 40 kids and grandkids later, we're all living in faith because of Uncle Bob. What would have happened if Uncle Bob wouldn't have gotten the boat that day? What would have happened if he wouldn't have related to him, my grandfather, on his level? What would have happened if he would have just claimed the stake of, I'm a Christian and we're going to church by golly? You see, God's calling us to live this invitational life, which means relating with people. It means connecting with people. It means really listening to people. It means learning the power of a good question and being curious about others' lives. With no agenda, we don't have to prep when we go into everything. We can trust the Holy Spirit will just give us what we need. We don't have to defend Jesus. He can defend himself. We have to learn how to be with one another. We have to learn how to just show up instead of shell up. Right. Yes. Yeah, I've been thinking about the power of listening lately, and I really think listening is, has become more and more rare in our society, especially, I think, with social media. We can get on there and just blurred out what we want to say. We have a monologue moment, and then we can close, our, close the app, right? And so I think some of those tendencies then have then infiltrated the ways that we connect with each other in person, that we can speak past each other, but we don't actually stop to listen. And I'm in this class right now in grad school, and my professor said something so profound about listening that I want to share with you going to be up on the screen. Listening is so close to loving that most people can't tell the difference. Isn't that amazing? Listening is so close to loving that most people can't tell the difference. And so how do we love well? We listen well. And when we are able to listen, we we can relate to people. We can, as, as Brent was talking about, we can, we can learn to ask good questions. We can then get to the deeper issues, the deeper stuff of life where our conversations aren't just about the weather, but we can understand the hardships and the pain and even the celebration moments of life when we learn to listen and relate. 
My daughter recently came home from my parents' house. Um, They're retired teachers and have a plethora of amazing books. And Lucy came home with this uh, story in mind that she wanted to share with us. It's Humphrey the Lost Whale. And Humphrey was a whale that was on his way down doing his migration path. He was going past San Francisco, and he came into the Bay Area. And then instead of proceeding on his, his path, he went up the river. He got lost. He got discombobulated. He started to go up the river, which this is no good for a very large creature and a creature that needs to live in salt water. He was in fresh water. And so he just kept making his way up, and the more that he was panicking and stressed, the more he was going up and up the river. And so the locals and the scientists, they got all these boats, as you can see in this little illustration, and they were trying to curb him around. They were trying to get him to turn by, by, by using their boats, and, and this just stressed him out even more, and he just, he just kept going. And he ended up in a very narrow section of the river, a very shallow section of the river, in the middle of a farm field. And people thought he was going to die there. I mean, they, they didn't know what to do. So they started racking their brains and trying to think, how are we going to get this whale out of this, out of this mess? And so what did they do? They recorded the sounds of other whales, the songs of the humpbacks, and then they put speakers down into the water in the direction that they wanted him to swim. And it worked. And he turned around, and he started making his way back down the river to the ocean. And when I think about that story, I, I just think, how, how powerful is it that they related with Humphrey by singing his songs? And so for us today, do we know the songs of our culture? Do we know the songs of the society? Do we know the songs of celebration, the melodies of lament that are happening all around us? And are we able to sing them too? To relate to the people that that are in the coffee shops, that are in the gym, that are in our workplaces, even in our families. What songs are you singing? Do you know the songs of the people around you? Carly, I love to sing. I know you do. Yes, and I kind of led worship last week with this little light of mine, so I'm thinking about becoming a worship leader someday. Uh, But the thing about songs is they connect people, and so when Steve Carter was here on the last night, we did our big thing, we were all yelling and screaming, and we posted these things, and then it got laid, and he's hungry, and so I'm just a great host when it comes to special guests, so I took him to Merritt's. I don't know if you've been there, they got great scones just down State Street, and it's kind of this 24-hour hole-in-the-wall great place, but one thing I noticed about Steve, what he modeled to us is right as he walked in, there's a guy with a bull's hat on, and he just connected with this guy, because he's from Chicago, and then there was a jukebox, so he went over there and connected with the people in the booth there, and then we sat down, and he connected with the waitress, and then he connected with the uh, people that were sitting next to us there, and so there's all these connections happening, and then there's this older couple that walks by, and they're holding hands, and he goes, oh, I love at your age that you're still holding hands. How long have you been married? And they're like, oh, we've been married 53 years. And then, so we start to connect with this couple, and we're teasing Pastor Mike uh, about singing to people. So we're like, oh, Pastor Mike is going to serenade you guys, and we're going to sing to you. And so all of a sudden, this breaks out in merits on a Tuesday night. <laughs> My baby! 
this couple starts to connect and uh, sing with us and the whole restaurant scene. And I'm just here to tell you that there's hope for us. When we try to show up, God is calling us to show up. And I'm kind of corny sometimes, and so I like to think of ways to practically do things like this. And so I've put together a little challenge for us this week. It's a simple day phone challenge with ABCs. You guys know the ABCs are simple, right? A stands for this. I'm available. Can you say it with me? I'm what? Available. Available. B, I believe that God has something for me today. Say, I believe. I believe. I believe. And C is there's a connection to be made. I can connect. Say it with me. I can what? Connect. Connect. So it's simple. A, B, C's. Everybody learned them, right? So A is I want to be available today. That's your best ability that you have is to be available B, I do believe that God has something for us today. And C, I believe that he wants to help us connect. And so I took this scripture out of 1 Corinthians 9.22, where where Paul again says, I become all things uh, to all people so that I might save some. So I'm going to invite you, I know we don't get to do this in church much, to take out your phone and you're going to set your alarm for seven days every day for 9.22 a.m. Now, is that corny or what? (laughs) But at 922, if you're willing to take on my challenge, you're going to just simply pray the ABC prayer. I'm available. I believe that God has something for me, and I want to connect today. If you'll do that, I believe that God will start changing the culture that we live in, not shelling up, but showing up, and that God will start showing us those God-only moments that he has for us. So if you're willing to take on the challenge... Take out your phones now and make it happen. Yeah, and as you're thinking about that, maybe you're thinking about the names that are on the post-its that you've written down. And God may be inviting you to move from prayer to prayerful action and moving you to connect. And our life group was talking about that just recently. And I have a friend on the the wall here. Her her name's on the post-it, a childhood friend. And I've been praying for her, but it's been years since I've had an in-depth conversation. And so... In my life group, we said, okay, guys, this week, I am going to reach out to her and connect with her and see if she would go to coffee with me. Mm. And it was really good for me to have the accountability of my life group. And you know what? I have to be honest, too, guys. I'm in the middle of this. Like, I haven't heard back. It's, you know, Steve Carter talked about the, the celebrating even the moments where the invitation may seem like a fail. And, right. and that's where I am. And that's Okay. But I'm just asking God to continue to work in her, but to work in me to know how I can be a part of the story that he's writing. For me to know how I can be like Barnabas. And so today we are going to stand. We're going to have a closing prayer and song. But as we do, let's think about those people in our lives that God is inviting us to connect with. Let's stand and let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you have bestowed on us, how you gave your son to us so that we could live in hope and freedom. And now, God, we are called to share that hope and freedom with the world. And so even this week, God, we just commit to saying that we're available, that we believe that you want to use us, and we want to connect with those around us. 
Help us show up this week. And we just look forward to just the grand celebrations that are going to take place because of the power of your spirit. It's all about you and us, but we just say yes to your story that you're writing. We say yes to this invitational life. We love you, Jesus, and we celebrate right now. Amen.